0: G'day everyone, welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset, at Sam Bruce, joined as ever on this Monday evening by Christy Doran, uh, here to wrap up uh, round two of the Rugby Championship, uh, where the script was flipped and wins for the All Blacks and Pumas in contrasting fashion over the Springboks and Wallabies respectively. Uh, Christy, we'll get into that shortly mate, uh, how was your weekend otherwise?
1: Well, there was a wedding thrown in there on a Saturday, not my own, but I can tell you uh, it meant for a, what made for a a very gleary-eyed opening on a Sunday morning at at 5 a.m. Australian Eastern. And um, look, I I must admit, I kind of, the, the early rise was made easier because you're reacting immediately to what, you know, the overnight result was between the Springboks and the All Blacks. And I wasn't too surprised that the All Blacks came back um, I know that we'd, you know, spoken about the fact that like even a Duane van Mulen comes back and you go, "Jesus, an imposing-looking forward pack," but they're you know, pretty inexperienced hooker that was starting on, and you just got the feeling like it's now or never for this All Blacks group under Ian Foster. Um, you know, they love Ellis Park; they always seem to lift there. And it was only a few years ago, I'm pretty sure, that they absolutely hammered at South Africa. There might have been a fifty-six-nil kind of scoreline, and that. Um, and I, I was expecting our response, but that was an unbelievable game. We'll, we'll get to it in a moment, but there's a lot to unpick there, and um, and I, it makes for it and it sets up what is a really enthralling next four weeks of this rugby championship. For the first time in a long while, talking about there is a lot at stake, and every week now the result is is really significant.
0: Well, that's yeah, that's got to be the best thing to come out of the weekend, right? That we've got um. Each team with with one win. Uh, the All Blacks still on the bottom by virtue of not picking up a, a bonus point either in the defeat last week or the win at the weekend. Um, I think it's clear that the Springboks and, and All Blacks are still the favourites to take out the title and uh tough assignment for the Pumas now to head to New Zealand with uh, perhaps not a win, uh, a sails full of wind, but uh, a little bit of uh, a gentle zephyr back in uh, coming through their, their port. side. So I don't know why I'm going to down the sailing uh have there? But uh, we'll move on swiftly. Um, and the Wallabies, of course, uh, still hit hard by injury. They will get some few back, a few back, as we will come to shortly. Uh, hosting the Springboks team, that um, probably got a little bit of a wake up call, I think, on the weekend, uh, as you, as you mentioned at home at Ellis Parker, uh, uh, sixty, just under sixty two thousand fans. Uh, uh, Baying for all black blood and uh, as you said uh, received uh, or actually got to watch a, a brilliant test match so yeah uh, plenty to unpack let's go first to San Juan though uh, where it was uh, the Pumas 47-16 over the Wallabies uh, a complete and utter destruction job uh, from Michael Checker's uh, team there uh, and even you know Check uh, if you tip your hat to him uh, certainly a an excellent coaching performance, you would have to say. Uh, The Argentinians, they exploited the Wallabies' back three uh, ruthlessly under the high ball. And, you know, we keep coming back to it, don't we? Uh, This problem position that is fullback, uh, a different one, just about in every test so far this year. Um, We've now got Kirtley Beal potentially uh, on the the fringes uh, this week. You're gonna fill us in on the latest there. Um, Perhaps Jock Campbell is an option, he isn't an option. Um, we're certainly no clearer, though, to, to working out just who is the man to wear this number 15 jersey uh, uh, in what was an absolute thumping from the Pumas uh, on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I think before, you know, it was 48-17 then, or 47-17, rather. Oh, sorry to point that out. But, Missed it. Point, uh, yep. Thank you. Uh, but, but it's we'll come to back to the selections in a moment and, we'll, and look ahead to the rest of the rugby championship because the squad was picked only for these Argentinian Argentine tests um, of course, being away. Um, look, the, the game was won and lost, wasn't it, in the air eerily. Um and and it was it was pretty telling. And oh, look, Tom Wright had had a, a good performance the week earlier, but it was on the Thursday and the Friday that you know Wednesday of the previous week where I was getting some mail going. Tom Wright starting at, at fullback, and yes, he went on to have a very good game that game. But two things: one, before that, which I highlighted, was It was very interesting that three minutes Jordan Bataille had before he was knocked unconscious in Brisbane. Yet, you know, a project play, um, a plan, a a long-term fullback in the making, someone who's considered one of the best in the air, airily in Australia, was you know, not considered at fullback or not chosen at fullback, but instead chosen on the wing for the first test. I thought that was a very surprising and odd decision, to be frankly honest. Um, it, it 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 was surprising for a couple of reasons, but um, but but mainly because this is a guy who's been playing for the Reds, been spoken about for so long there, and to go away from that was 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 simply odd. Even though he might still be best on the right wing at the moment, I thought, you know, clearly the benefit of side, what we saw in this second test was Argentina exploited early on and then continually pepper it after gaining some initial success, but I'm not surprised by it. And because, and in addition to that, the positional awareness was exploited too. And I, I, I don't understand how the Brumbies for years, I only played Tom Banks at fullbacks. You know, there was a guy called Matt Hansen that also left because he was never given opportunities at fullback. Um, Tom Wright was seldom given an opportunity. He wasn't given an opportunity before Tom Banks was injured slash suspended for an attack gone wrong in in wet in the West. You know how are the Brumbies uh, in this case? But then you know, looking further ahead down the track, the Wallabies going well. We need to see more of the him at the Brumbies at fullback. And and for the, the planning not to be there, I thought was staggering considering that you've ended up going for him at fullback. Um, how, that,
0: go on. I was just going to say, how much of it on the weekend do you think was uh, Ben Darwin, anyone who's um, kept abreast of the Australian rugby community in recent times, this, the work he does with with Gainline, talks about a lot about cohesion. He's built yeah, a business course, around yeah. it. And on the weekend, you've got a, a Brumbies fullback, a Reds winger, and a winger who's playing out of Japan. and th- these three guys, uh, I'm not even sure they will have played together at test level before. Now, admittedly, this was part
1: of this. Well, to, be, to, to be fair, they 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 did line up there against England and Brisbane, albeit Pitar at full back and right on the wing. Um, but but yeah. as you said for what
0: the mo- twelve minutes or whatever it was, you know before no, three, three,
1: three minutes, yeah three minutes
0: there before Geordie was concussed. Now, um, part of this, has, as we you know, discussed at length, that uh, has been born out of um, the absolutely the Wallaby squad being ravaged by injury through this period. Kellaway, um, you know, Kellaway, uh, you know and, and the list goes on. Um, but uh, how, there's just seemed to be a complete lack of connection there at the back. And is it too much to expect guys to come in and be able to do the pick up and go when they've traded together? or train together over the past couple of months, or do they need that actual time in the legs out there on the field? And is that what we saw? That was the result of that on
1: uh, on Sunday morning. I think we saw a bit of that because, yeah, of course, the, you know, Anthony Seabold, the England defence coach, um, highlighted that well during Stan's coverage. At, at, thought he was excellent on Stan too, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and I'm not surprised because he's done a lot of that stuff. Uh, well, clearly he's a well-respected coach, but he's done a lot of those sorts of things for um the NRL.com previously as well. Um, so yeah, that, that wasn't that wasn't a surprise. but you know the 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 fact that there weren't maybe the centers running back, um, you know, putting themselves in that position, not necessarily to block runners but just to be another obstacle, um, that that had a, a an influence I'm sure, but I don't think it was the overall influence. you know, we saw at times balls landing, um, getting, uh, in in no man's land, there was once it looked like Nick White was going to go for it, didn't quite go for it. We saw Reese Hodge coming from fifty meters away, trying to get there, and ends up giving away a penalty towards the back end. Um, look, selection was a big, a really interesting thing going into this second test, and clearly they were decimated, not helped by the concussions at training. But even the decision at ten with James O'Connor, uh, ten, uh, Lalakai Faketi at twelve. Um, it was surprising to, to, you know, to, to, no, no, clearly they've been forced into something there at 12 with Lalakai Fikedi, but I, I was staggered to, you know, if you're not going to play James O'Connor the week before, you're not going to play him in Sydney and drop him. Um, then to bring him back in a really pressured situation, I thought was interesting. To leave out Noah Lawrenceau completely over the two tests, I thought it was staggering. To go in with a specialist centre on the, on the bench, you know, Eraser Moni, he's about to leave to go overseas. Um, I thought it was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, perhaps one of the worst, you know, that is, to me, the worst selection I've seen under Dave Rennie because this is a guy who's opted to go to France, leaving to France, was only here for the two tests, and he's a specialist centre when you've got a Reese hodge who can cover the centres if necessary. And you I know a lot confidence must be, Absolutely rocked. Um, he must be confused as anything, given what, what he's endured. he would only led the Wallabies to a test match win only three or four tests ago in, England, um, in Perth against England. And here he is, finds himself out of the, the 23 for a second straight week. Some really surprising decisions there, which I think kind of smacked a little bit of desperation and not knowing exactly what, what path you want to go on and how to actually get there. Um, Quade Cooper's injury absolutely rocked Rennie and the Wallabies, I, I think. And, and he's got a winning percentage rate of 70 from 50-odd test starts in the number 10 jersey. Um, he was clearly someone that they were hoping is going to have a long-extended run through to the World Cup. But given his injury history and everything else, I think it was very surprising to uh, potentially bank on that Um, But I would have been, and I I still would continue having Noel Olleseo a part of the 23 going forward. And whether or not he starts or comes off the bench, I think it's important that he has minutes in him, particularly going into a World Cup. And, and, you know, we'll get to a little bit and who else might come into the selection frame at number 10 going forward. But, you know, even Tom Robertson, you know, this guy has got 20-odd caps of experience, or 18 caps of experience, but... He's not found good enough to get on a bench when there's one cap of test experience between the three on the weekend, between Poma Farmer, and Billy Pollard on debut and, a- and a Matt Gibbon, who's got 10 minutes, a week earlier in Mendoza. I thought the experience of Robertson, given Alan Toa's departure, might have been significant because we-, we saw on the weekend, you know, the set piece really struggle and experience may have may have helped the Away from
0: the high ball, I guess the other big um, theme we're seeing here with the Wallabies, and it has been the case uh, virtually across the entirety of, of Dave Rennie's tenure, are these these slow starts and having to play from behind. We saw it again on the weekend, uh, that mix up at the back uh, and they're immediately, you know, not chasing the game, but but certainly behind and, and with the job to do. And I mean, the, the game, I think it was at was it 26-10 at halftime. Um, You know, Argentina might not be the spring box of the All Blacks, but they're certainly bloody hard to beat at home. And to give them that much of a a lead uh, is always going to be, you know, prove a a very difficult task to run down, even though the Wallabies did something similar
1: a few years ago. But um, But, but Before we move away from that, Sam, 16 of 25 tests under Dave Rooney, the Wallabies have trailed at halftime. And they haven't hit at halftime since Japan at the start of last year's spring tour um it 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 tells an absolute story what's going on why can't they get out of the out of the blocks quickly discipline's clearly an issue um it's a you know and and no one can quite put their finger on it you know we asked nick quite a week ago and he said he doesn't he doesn't know and you know fair play for being honest and sometimes um you know, there's these little strange increases around things in, in rugby and in sport, but this is more than just a theme now.
0: I will say one thing, and I pointed it out last year in in the second test in Melbourne, where the French were adamant that they would kick to Marika Koromety off every kickoff, and I asked Dave about that very fact at the full time. He said, "Look, we're not worried about that," but I actually think that affects the Wallabies' ability to to exit um, with uh, with any great uh, conviction. I think they get muddled up between whether is going to run it outside the 22 or get tackled inside a, a couple of phases blindsided. then Nick White goes to the boxy and he hasn't been box kicking all that well of late so um, yeah look uh, massive improvements need to be made there out of the gates otherwise you know the, the, the record is as clear as you said 16 out of 25 that's only going to get worse you'd think.
1: Yeah and look you don't want to paint a, a doom and gloom picture necessarily. There are still positives coming out of there and you can see some, you can take away things from every test. There's no doubt about it, but, you know, the Wallabies haven't ever lost to Argentina as badly as what happened on the weekend, a 31 point absolute thrashing. It's not just a a 10, a 15 point loss, 31 points is you know, quite frankly, embarrassing. Um, this is an Argentinian side that's not ranked in the not three or four or five. Um, yeah, a lot of injuries, undoubtedly, but uh, the Wallabies' defence at times is, is is has to be questioned, and clearly, um, a lot of those issues did come from 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 the aerial um, inability to handle the aerial battle, but. You know, It would be remiss of us not to, to highlight a, a pretty significant moment in the game, which is when, when James Slipper is penalised after a, a rare bit of brilliance from James O'Connor and, and Jordan Pettire sniffing out some space. And it was reasonably sharp. You might question, are the, both balls forward? I thought probably fair if they're flat. But it was interesting, the James Slipper penalty and the decision to reverse the try. Um, It would have put them in front 17-10 with O'Connor Surely going to slot that from in front. So you know they go on and they they concede two quick tries in the matter of seven minutes, which sees Argentina go in front 26 twenty six ten. So what what did you think of that when when that occurred? It's an excellent point, Christy. And and I must admit I did not get
0: up at five. Uh, Brittany Mitchell was on the job for ESPN, doing an excellent uh, job as she always does uh, on Sunday morning. So I had a little bit of a lie until about six thirty, and then watched the game from then, and before I'd uh, got to that incident, I'd actually been texted by a mate, Tom Hilliard. Uh, hello to you, Tom, uh, a recent uh, convert to the pod and saying uh, it was, uh, I think, a ridiculous decision and then I caught up, I had to agree. Now, what I did see today when I went back and watched it was the work, well, not the work, the, the added clean out of, of Lockie Lonigan, which I think helped to spin Pablo around. Um, now, in no way did I think James Slipper's uh, clean-out was dangerous in any of the things we look for coming from, coming from depth at speed, uh, leading with the shoulder, uh, hitting in the head, neck roll. There was none of that. And I think the fact that Pablo actually was kind of holding on to the tackled player helped spin his motion, spin his body round for him to end up the way he did. If I was going to give a penalty, it would have been from Long again, coming in the side after he'd made a, an earlier clean-out and then kind of spun materials I think it was uh, his, uh, his right leg round and, and that added to it but I mean to scrub off the try for that um, was was fairly confusing even though like you I, I had major questions on, on both passes probably the first one more than the second. Um, so yeah look uh, am I surprised? No I, I thought uh, Carl Dixon actually had a pretty good game besides that uh, and the, the try that Argentina had disallowed that clearly appeared to the, uh, you know, com- compelling evidence for that ball to be overturned. Sorry, that try to be overturned by virtue of the ball scraping the line on the way through. So, I mean, we don't want to get bogged down in this. And I'm going to come and fire up my South African friends that I've uh, added to the the pod via the Scrum Facebook page last week by saying, Luke Pierce, I thought, had a fantastic game. But we'll get to that in a little while in uh, Johannesburg. But, mate, uh, yeah, confusing the slipper incident. Um, and there you go, Tommy Hilliard. We've covered it off for
1: you. Indeed, we did. Look, uh, there's going to be changes, and, and, and those changes will be significant, you would imagine. I would suspect Andrew Kellaway will, will come back in at full back. I think he's tracking well from what I'm hearing. Um, Hunter Paisami, you imagine, would return at 12, uh, even though Lalakai Kaifukedi had some okay moments um, in, the, in the game. I think he still brings a lot. There's a big question at 10. Um now, with with James O'Connor and, and Noah, um, there's going to be huge pressure on whoever gets there. Particularly if it's James, I think. Um, you know, it, the, the waters have been muddied. I think by not having one of these two guys on the bench and, and giving them some time, because you actually don't get a a real reflection on where these guys are at. Because, you know, O'Connor's cards might have been marked, but how many players were missing? You know, what are the circumstances around that defeat that go into a performance which? Isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, in the in the in the forward pack, you imagine Alan the comes back, and I thought Taniela was was underwhelming starting uh, at three. Now, whether or not some of the scrummaging issues occurred because the Lockie Lonergan comes in and perhaps not the best scrummager at this point in time, that's that's a consideration. Um, you'd imagine Dave Parecki comes back in at, at, at two, a flower finder who is out with concussion as well, comes onto the bench. Um, and and I think that will automatically see four four changes in that squad. You might see a Rob Leo to come back on the bench um, and and how they, how they work out that five, three split or a six, two, indeed will, will be interesting. But, you know, guys like Sully Bunabalu, where are they at the moment? Because Australians haven't seen him for a long time. You've barely seen him for the Wallabies, except for a couple of minutes in Sydney at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Um, you know, he, he's one of the best in the air. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But, you know, with the absence of a short kicking game, I think, has been pretty telling at the moment. And, and when you look at what the All Blacks did on the well on the weekend, a couple of things stood out and there were one or two average kicks from Richie Mwanga, but there was also a couple of good ones. And you think of the work that Artie Sevilla does out in the wing and, and, and that short kicking game is so important to not only to manipulating defence, but also to being used as an attacking potent weapon. And it's gone out of the Wallabies' Army, arsenal in, in recent weeks, in recent tests. Because I th- I'm i surprised, firstly. But secondly, they opted not to do against England because they were fearful for a Freddie Stewart at, at fullback. But hang on a moment. There's two wingers out in the field as well. So I'd love to see more of that and a more versatile game because I think that's gone out of the Wallabies in recent weeks. That's an excellent
0: point and something to really consider when you think about how the Springboks defend and, and how much they tend to use the, the rush defence there. Uh, led by whoever's at 13, probably Lacanio Am, who was brilliant. and um, We'll get to him more shortly as well. Um, a, a quick one before we wrap this up, and I guess looking a little bit forward to the Springboks as well. Uh, Fraser McWright, um, you'd have to say, was probably one of the better Wallabies on the weekend, if not perhaps as, as strong as he was last week. A uh, pick, uh, pick and go early on, which uh, got turned over when the Wallabies were hard on an attack. Springs to mind. But against the Springboks, when you have got such a a giant pack, uh, do you look to fight fire with fire and perhaps bring in a, a Pete Samu there at seven ahead of Fraser McWright? Or do you look to use Fraser's speed um, early on uh, for a little bit of an edge? Uh, or is he perhaps loom as the, the perfect bench solution against a Springboks pack that might be tiring later on? Is there any chance you think we'll see Pete Samu next week? Yeah, it's a, it's a good
1: question. Um, look, I, I think what... I, I like a side that that backs their strengths, um, and you look at that Wallabies balance of the back uh, of the of the forward pack. If you've got a, a Jed Holloway at six and a Rob Valentini, who is absolutely outstanding, um, the best player by Country Mile from the Wallabies on the week, right, yep. Um, you know, it's a pretty big forward pack there when you've got guys like Al-Otoa with a tupo to come off the bench, a Rory Arnold around there. I, I, I like Fraser McBride, I think he's a good player and I think his point of difference is his speed, his link play as well as his um, breakdown ability and, and, and natural instinct to go and when, when to go for the ball. I can see the point. I, I wouldn't do that. Um, but, you know, I, I floated it in a story today. You know, Liam Gill's not had one, one, one phone call and and I know that he's um, someone that's been out sight and out of mind for a long time, but, He's an incredible player who's an outstanding seven who has it all. And I know that people like Michael Hooper have always been big fans of him. Actually, recognised he was the most complete seven in the game. I heard that just recently from a, at one source. But you know, he's not being spoken to. Sean McMahon, I don't think, will come back. Uh, there was a fair bit of bad blood towards the end of last year's rugby championship with the fallout of of the, of the three Japanese bass players, um, and he was one of the louder speakers. Um, but you know, he, he, he could have been someone who's very important. And when you look at the, the fact that Samu um, Karevi, as well as Quade Cooper, won't be there, it allows one more um, overseas bass player to be coming into this squad and uh, this rugby championship squad, which could be around the 34 number Um, you would imagine it will be around that number. Um, And, you know, I think from what I've been told, Bernard Foley could be coming back into the mix. Um, I think there will be some medical checks that are done over the next couple of days. It doesn't necessarily mean that he will come back into the squad, Um, but I think he's at least on the radar, on the attention, given that Quade Cooper's injury will leave him out for a long, long time. And I don't think it's a bad idea having someone come in you're getting an idea of them. You're not giving them a jersey. You're not giving them a starting position, but you're saying, how does this guy compare? Can he add to the squad? Um, and that'll be really interesting. And, and similarly, Kurt Bill probably will come back in. He was due back, uh, I think, for the, the all-black tests. Um, maybe he's progressing either quicker or potentially they're going to want to necessarily have him come into the camp earlier so that they can roll him out at some point in time and he's not necessarily having to catch up with the detail around things uh, as well as fitness and the rest of it. So really intriguing what happens over the next couple of days as the Wallabies try to iron out this squad. Yeah,
0: squad uh, for those two tests against Springboks to be named towards the back end of this week and those tests kick off in uh, Adelaide's afternoon game at the Adelaide Oval, which I'm sure uh, should be uh, hopefully well attended down there and then before we move back to Sydney with uh, Allianz Stadium, as we keep saying that we're all pumped up to see.
1: If you like this podcast and you're a fan of the AFL and AFLW, then you'll love the ESPN Footy Podcast, delivering insight and analysis with the help of Champion Data. Get it wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: That's probably enough uh, on the Wallabies and the Pumas. Let's uh, head back to earlier Saturday night. Christy. Uh, and as we said earlier, the All Blacks turning the tables on the Springboks. box. Um, uh, just another classic edition of this uh, this great r- rugby rivalry, wasn't it? Um, uh, plenty of talking points, as we said. Uh, All Blacks under extreme pressure. Uh, virtually, you know, Ian Foster uh, with his, uh, his job on the line. Uh, we'll get to the bizarre kind of Sunday afternoon press conference shortly. Uh, had to uh, had to say nothing at all uh, or actually announce a press conference with the intention to say nothing at all and still proceed with it. I don't get it. But anyway, Mark Robinson, uh, you can uh, work that one out for yourself. Um, you, let's just uh, cover off the match. Uh, I guess uh, it took a while actually for, for any points to be put on the board and and this one was a real grind. Um, early yellow carding of, of Damian Willemser um, and then uh, we saw uh, a couple of tries before the break but the action really, I guess, went up a level uh, in the second half, and it, it's hard to go past, I guess, the two big calls from, from Luke Pearce, which uh, I may have infuriated uh, those friends of mine in the Republic again today. But I think Luke Pearce got them both exactly right. Uh, yellow card certainly for Bowden Barrett. I thought uh, there was no probable try to be scored there by uh, Jaden Hendrixer, um towing the ball through. I thought he was roughly the same distance from where Mwanga was, Richie Mwanga was going to come across in cover, and then. Of course, uh, Luke Kenyo Am's uh, brilliant break that uh, before he threw the long sweeping pass to Makazoli and Mapimpi uh, for a try that was also overturned for an earlier shepherd or virtually a double shepherd from Hendrix. Uh, Um I want to tip my hat to Luke Pearce and say, mate, job done. Well done to all the officials, even um, TMO as well. Uh, two big calls, and I thought they got them absolutely spot on.
1: Yeah, I agree, and it's not often we able to to talk positively about officials and. Oh, I even tweeted it out after the game because I thought um, like Pierce, there was, he was clear, he was concise, he was um, his communication was spot on. He allowed the game to flow, but he also wanted the game to flow, which was really refreshing. He was telling people and players to hurry up, to get to a, a scrum and, 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 He's a ref that looks like he's
0: loving every minute of it. No matter what's going on, this is where he wants to be. Uh, there's a big smile on his face. He has the odd joke with with players there at times. I mean, Scott Barrett just springs to mind now, was yelling at him to check a try there. And then moments later, the All Blacks scored anyway. And I think they had a good chuckle about it. I, I just love his approach, his attitude.
1: Yeah, and there was a moment that Justin Marshall highlighted as well. And and I I was watching it with someone else and they said, oh, you know, such and such is hurt. Um, and, and, you know, why, why wasn't it blown up immediately? And it was very smart officiating because I think Luke Pearce had observed that the ball was being turned over at the process at the time, that, that New Zealand were going to be able to clear their own line and that there wasn't going to be any present danger for that particular player who may or may not have been injured. Um, I thought it was fantastic refereeing, um, and as it turned out, the boards cleared, and it just allowed, you know, otherwise the, the game would have been stood still. New Zealand probably wouldn't have got that moment and and that opportunity to win the board there. Maybe a scrum is called, but I thought he was brilliant, and you're right, I thought the decisions that he made, the big moments were made. He he immediately went to the pocket for, for Williams uh, for professional foul play which is slowing the the ball down cynical play there um there wasn't any toing or throwing there wasn't any TMO called in no this was a a pretty obvious yellow card it was done immediately no points were scored shortly after so those that are blaming the referee for that decision I think you need to uh, just look at the game again with some a clearer set of eyes perhaps but but there was, there was a definitely a double um, obstruction there with, with Sam Whitelock unable to go into a tackle where space was run into. Um, you know, Arguably, the pass from, from Arm at the end was also forward potentially, but uh, I would have been happy for that to be, uh, play on. But definitely, it was obstruction. There was no doubt about that. And, and as for the, um, the, the yellow card to Bowden Barrett, once again, spot on. They didn't deliberate it for too long. There wasn't a certain try possible. So I thought he was it was excellent. And, and the more that we can see there, the more emphasis for just to speed the game up can only be a good thing because it'll mean that players get more tired. And when ta- players get tired, space tends to open up. And it allows people, the little players, uh, the more creative players, those that play on instinct, to be able to come into the game because we know that it's a, such a collision-based game at the moment. Um, so stop start in its nature that it really suits a Springbok's kind of pack or side that is known for his bomb squad. Um, you know, both teams missed opportunities in the first half, um, but but it was an outstanding game and one where clearly the All Blacks played for their coach as well. Um, and what happens now with with Ian Foster is going to be, Really, really surprising and fascinating to see what happens because clearly Mark Robertson hasn't issued any kind of vote of confidence there. Maybe there was a last-minute change from the board. Maybe they were waiting for him to come home to New Zealand before uh, delivering anything. But every hour that the clock ticks is an hour lost to perhaps make a change. The question which I would ask you, Sam, and something that Sure Barnes has brought to attention is, would a win like this, where players are clearly up for it the intensity is there, has that potentially masked the 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 overall shortcomings of a Ian Foster coach or black side and, and perhaps in six to twelve months you know if he continues and he plays four tests against Argentina and Australia, which you would expect they would win the vast majority, if not all of those um, would that you know mask you know, the shortcomings going forward and and potentially come back to haunt them in in 13 months' time at at the next World Cup?
0: Well, it's a question, Christy, I guess, how many chances uh, do you give a coach? And if you reflect on the last few years, the All Blacks, uh, we think back to um, that loss to uh, the Pumas here in Sydney. Uh, Wallaby should have beaten them in in Wellington before beating them in in Brisbane uh, a few weeks later. Uh, they've lost to Ireland three times across the last few years. Lost to France last year. Uh, dropped a test to South Africa here um, in Australia uh, when the Rugby Championship was was played uh, all but uh, a couple of weeks in in Queensland. Um, and of course, last week as well, when they looked, you know, particularly flat, and and Foster came out and said, "Well, that was our best performance of the year." Now, I think uh, that generated a, a lot of laughter, and he, he admitted that himself last week. But Maybe the clues were there that he had seen something the rest of us had didn't because um, they certainly came out and played like the All Blacks we we know and have come to expect, certainly through the Steve Hanson and, and Graham Henry era when they were you know winning around 89, 90% of their matches. So, yeah, look, uh, I mean, defiant the players are, aren't they? Artie Sevilla, um, strong in his support of Ian Foster uh, after the game. Um, there's, there's pictures of him sharing a real emotional embrace with with Aaron Smith, uh, I have no doubt that the the players um, are behind him. But you know, it's a massive call for New Zealand rugby, isn't it? And there are calls. Uh, one, uh, Jamie Wall, I think, uh, last week writing, you know, sack Foster, and and while you're at it, after you've done that, sack yourselves, New Zealand, New Zealand rugby. So um, look, it's a massive call for New Zealand rugby, and, and these guys who are these men and women who are making it in the next couple of days are going to re- be remembered for it, because they are on that harder side of the World Cup draw, aren't they, that has the, the top four, um, they'll be playing off in the in the quarterfinals or the top four rankings at this point in time. Um, you know, there's a real risk that uh, they could go out in the quarters. Um, do you start again with Scott Robertson, as we suggested over the last, you know, um, umpteen episodes of the pod, uh, virtually under 12, well, 13 months and ticking virtually today, I think it is, um, until kickoff there in, in France, so, yeah, look. Uh, if it was me, I'd be making the change. I, I still think that the what we've seen from the All Blacks over the last few years, um, comparatively to, to previous years, I still think they've, they've got the cattle they need in a vast majority of positions, and, and I don't think Ian Foster, the way he's uh, chosen teams along the way, or the kind of rugby he's had them playing at times, uh, has been up to up to scratch.
1: Yeah, look. I'll continue on that in a moment. I just wanted to highlight. I thought Shannon Frizzell was outstanding on the weekend. Been and, and good since coming in, yeah. Having a blindside flanker who Toke Aho too, I think he's yeah, proving he's himself at a real he's kind, him. isn't he? He'll be a great player going forward. But you know, having a six, you know, in the Jerome Kino kind of mould is so important because they offer brutality and physicality, which you need. Um, you can't just have it, you know, particularly when you don't have a Brody Retallick there. So. Um, you know from probably finishing up regarding the Robertson and the move there if it, if it's going to take place it's it's it, i don't think it's too late yet before the world cup we saw michael checker have a really positive influence yep, for the 2015 world cup when he came on at the spring tour i i think that is i think you give him the rugby championship i think it's too late at this moment um the only thing that you're potentially, I think, jeopardising, and, and maybe not, is the, uh, is, is the Burtis Oak Club. It's 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 whether or not you think that is in real jeopardy or not. And if it's not, I think you you give him you give him until the rest of the rugby championship, and then you go. You know what? They've got to be absolutely clinical over these next four tests, and then if they're not, then you make the change. and And it would be difficult, but it. Um, I just think that you're doing it a week, a week and a half before a couple of tests against Argentina. It's a real tricky one, but on the other hand, you know, it might allow a new coach to be able to come in and bank a few victories, get some rapport before you go on to a, a series. Look, we're not the ones making the decisions. Um, we don't necessarily know the ins and the outs of it. But clearly it seems like the players are behind him and that's a really, really important thing. So the only thing it really reflects badly on, I think at the moment, is, is not so much Ian Foster, who's probably doing everything he can, but he's the New Zealand rugby board and that's headed by Mark Robertson, and, and they've got some real accountability that they should be facing at the moment because the press conference that they called over the weekend was, was fast cool and it was clearly in response to their decision not to speak to the media for five days following the Irish series loss there. So look, you can't call a presser and then say nothing, um, you know, and you either back him or you don't. And 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 we saw and we heard neither of that. It means that there's negative headlines for another week, big decisions to be made, but look, it, it opens up this rugby championship. And that's what I think was disappointing as well about the All of its performance, because if they can somehow leave San Juan with a victory there, they come back with two Um Victories—they're on top of the rugby championship. Um, they potentially can afford to drop one of the next four, but they can't now, really. And um, and, and and that really—you know—there's a lot of pressure now on Dave Rennie. There's a lot of pressure regarding the strength and conditioning. If there's any more injuries in training, well, I can tell you what: there there will be more people that will be concerned um, than other than one or two journalists or or a few. Um, punters that are really now catching on that this is not right. There will be serious questions being asked by Rugby Australia, which I think they already is, by the way. Two things just before we wrap up. I mean, let's give a wrap, I guess,
0: to at least the management or the reporting of these concussions because probably in, in previous years, some of these might have been swept under the rug and, you know, no slide on, on any coach or any, any team around the world, but it was just the kind of space that we were in that the game was in and all contact sport was in at, at that point that that some of these head knocks that um, the Hunter Paisami one that you first reported on, on Wednesday last week, wasn't even picked up during the game. Uh, he reported that himself, feeling the symptoms on the Sunday, failed the the uh, cognitive test. They call it on the Monday and then Falafo Inga on, on match Eve uh, on Saturday morning Aussie time. So yeah, um, you know i think we've got to give them a wrap for for managing both the players for realizing you know this is extremely serious stuff and and team management and doctors and everyone involved for for then sitting them um given the circumstances the second thing i i yeah, looking on the all Black situation i mean you know you'd back them to as impressive as that pumas performance was on the weekend that they should win both these games against argentina you would think with not with relative ease, but um, I think they'll be comfortable victors in both. And they get the Wallabies here in Melbourne, which probably looks the toughest test of their remaining games, clearly, before they return to Fortress Eden Park. Now, one particular Aussie journalist found it the, the right time to uh, to lay claim to the Bledislaus coming home last week. And, of course, the reaction from Australian rugby fans on, on social media wasn't great. But looking at it from a New Zealand perspective, I, I mean, is that – that's clearly, you know, if you and who knows what Wallabies team you might get at Marvel Stadium that night. If you're making the judgment on the next four weeks of the Rugby Championship, given what we've seen previously, I think that's a that's a dangerous situation for New Zealand rugby to be in.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. And, and and firstly, regarding the concussion, I completely agree with you there. That that's a, that's a really good point. It's a valid point. I would wonder whether or not other international teams or other teams across, you know, provincial domestic competitions are doing the same. Um, Really, like you know, we can't get to the bottom of that now. But it's it's a really interesting question. Um, Yeah, look, I thought that the timing regarding that article was was odd, but it wasn't the only one. Look, there was one in the in the Sydney Morning Herald saying that the irony is that the All Blacks are probably the most vulnerable that they've ever been. And, and that's true. Uh, I just thought that maybe you, you write those stories before the rugby championship starts, not after a couple of weeks, um, will, particularly when there's an, uh, the next test is against the Springboks and not the All Blacks. Um, I thought that was odd. But given that there's all the injuries, given the, the the players that had left Argentina as well, um yeah, I, I think that was fascinating. Bizarre timing regarding that. But, you know, there's there's a lot to play out before this Bledisloe series. And you're right that the Melbourne test will be the hardest one that they now face. Michael and probably goes to New Zealand going, well, you know, there's, there's, there's let's just leave it out there. We're going there with no real expectation. He's not going there with the Bledisloe cup up for grabs, is he? Yeah. Um, so why not? He, he should know them pretty well. He should know their vulnerabilities and he knows that. To to win, you'll have to be physical, and, and that's what they will be. Interesting footnote, yes. Michael Checker returning to New Zealand, uh, given some of
0: the ways he's been depicted in the New Zealand media previously, it'll be uh, interesting to see whether they uh, they try and wind him up at all now as coach of uh, Los Boomers. Um, and check, uh, yes, yeah, certainly as you say, won't be carrying the burden of trying to win Australia's Bledisloe Cup drought. Right mate, that's a pretty good wrap for Monday night. Uh, thanks again for your time. Uh, enjoy uh, the weekend off. I'm not sure what you've got plans, so maybe a little getaway with the missus, um, treating that lovely girl of yours to uh, a dinner out perhaps um, anything
1: on the cards. Won't be on the cards that because she'll be off to Europe unlike some of us. So, um look, it's I'm I'm looking forward to a weekend off, there's no doubt about that, but there's a, a couple of really interesting storylines that will be bubbling away over the next few days. So lots of rugby to kind of be interested by, fascinated by. And, and look, that Adelaide Test is going to come around quickly. And I, for one, am and, and, and looking forward to, to getting there and seeing what it's like on a, another oval shape. So you're not, quite, not going to quite have the atmosphere there. But clearly, the Sydney Football Stadium, uh, just around the corner there and the unveiling there. So that'll be great and uh, highly anticipated. Yeah, can't wait for that one, and uh, I'm actually headed bush this weekend
0: to watch the mighty Coonabarab and Kookaburras push for a grand final win on the road in Molong. So
1: uh, come up and say hi if you're a fan of the pod uh, in Molong on Saturday afternoon. Well, good luck, enjoy that, and um, oh, shoot, sure, coming around as well to the pointy end there. Um, lots to, to look forward to, finals footy around the corner so yeah get out watch enjoy the rugby lots to um, lots to look forward to yeah
0: a bit of local footy indeed just what the doctor ordered right mate thanks again uh, and we'll talk to you next week